Good morning. It is really good to see you. Thank you for choosing to be with us this morning. We're in part two of Let the Children Come. It's based on that verse where Jesus says, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. And we'll discover how big a deal that was. Last week, we already focused on the last prophecy of the Old Testament. Briefly, we focused on that. We're in Malachi The prophecy read like this, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And Malachi was not talking about Jesus at this point, he was talking about a prophet who would come like Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total desolation. That was the last prophecy in the Old Testament, and then prophecies ceased for 400 years. There was silence from God prophetically, and then the first prophecy in the New Testament read like this, but before I tell you it read like this, it came from an angel, Gabriel, to Zechariah about a son, and Zechariah and Elizabeth were really old. Sound familiar with themes from Old Testament? God can do just about whatever he wants. That's an understatement. (laughs) He can do whatever he wants. And then here's what we read in Luke 1.17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Gabriel was talking about this son that they would miraculously, miraculously have, who would later be known as John the Baptizer. I like to call him Johnny Dunker. And... Sorry. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is a really big deal. A prophecy about a judgment or good news. Choice being the choice of the people of God. And a judgment that sounds horrific and there are Basically, two interpretations about how this judgment could come down, and there are camps that camp on these two interpretations. One interpretation is this is a judgment of God on the people of God who failed to turn their hearts to their children. And there's another camp that says this is a judgment of God that comes naturally when people don't turn their hearts to their children because the faith isn't passed on, the baton pass is dropped, and generation upon generation that should follow Jesus or God in the Old Testament, they don't. And when they don't, the principles of the parents aren't transferred to the principles of the children. And when the principles of the children aren't transferred to their children, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse as sin goes. So the society falls apart. And so this is a big deal that parents need to turn their hearts to their children. Welcome. I want you to know how big a deal this is. And this, uh, today we're talking about what does this mean for parents? But honestly, if you're not a parent and you're 16 years old, don't check out because this is actually for everyone. And if you're a grandparent and you said, ah, been there, done that, don't check out because this is for everyone. And I want to show you why this is for everyone. But the responsibility is going to feel heaviest upon the parents. Okay? This is where we're going today. This big deal, what this looks like, let the little children come to me. And don't hinder them what this looks like. 
for all of us. Now, here's the surprise that it is for everyone. The best way to get at this is to turn to Psalm 78. I will put it on the screen, but if you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 78, and we're not going to read the whole psalm. We'll be in the first seven verses. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Now we're gonna look at that a little bit more deeply as we go, but let's start with point number one, is this, we will pass the baton of faith. We will pass the baton of faith. Now, Maybe calling it a baton is a little bit of a stretch because you can't make your child receive the baton. But in the exchange, you hopefully raise them up with what you need. We're going to talk about that so that they want to receive the baton and run with it. Okay? So verse 4 says, we will tell the next generation the deeds of the Lord. We will tell the next generation the deeds of the Lord. Now, the reason why I say this is for everyone is that you need to understand the nature of these psalms. These psalms were used in the public setting of worship. These psalms were used in the synagogue as they would declare these truths together Sometimes they were simply read, sometimes they were sung, but this is a public declaration of their commitment and their worship and their decision together as a community, we will. And they were saying this, we will tell the next generation. So that's kind of big. It's not just for parents, it's for everyone a public declaration of worship. It's a prayer. That's how psalms were often brought before God. The odd thing is this one seems like it's more instructional. It's it's more like a teaching prayer. Uh, Sometimes that's how it is before God. Even your teaching words are brought before God to bring your heart to worshipfully commit to God in these truths you're embracing Together. So church, don't hinder the children is a message for the church. Church, raise children up to know the Lord is a declaration for the church. It's for the entire church, young and old, to be looking to those who are the vulnerable, those who still need to be shaped, those who need to look at this thing as a good thing that they want as well. We all play a part in this. 
Now, we've probably already all been playing a part. We probably even recently played, played a part. As even this is a prayer, we often pray very specifically for children by name. Even before we were parents, we probably voiced some of these prayers for siblings or for friends or for others. Just since we're talking about prayer, let me just list off some simple prayers that I'm sure many of us have prayed or something like them. Lord, watch over my child as he or she develops in the womb. Boy, I sure did. I prayed that over and over again. Lord, let my child be born healthy. How many of you ever prayed that? Lord, help my child sleep through the night. Please. <laughs> Lord, keep my child safe as she goes off to school. Lord, please heal my child. Lord, help my child say no to drugs. Lord, help him choose the right friends. Lord, lead her to the right college and let us win the lottery <laughs> to pay for it. Lord, let him meet a nice girl. Lord, don't let her marry that bum. <laughs> Lord, please make my child want to move out of the house. Right, there's all kinds of prayers, all kinds of stages that we're praying for children. Some of them are prayers for our own children. Some of them are for grandchildren. Some of them are for just children we know. You have children in your life, even if you've never had children. We're supposed to be a part of that community that is all about helping the next generation. You with me so far? Are you getting this? All right. Probably on the top of the list, though, in all kinds of ways, in many ways of praying this, is this prayer. Lord, may they come to know you as Savior and follow you all of their lives. The most important prayer we could pray because it's not about here and now only. It's forever. So let's take a look at verse 6 a little bit more closely. We pray this prayer about salvation. Why? So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So passing along the faith to our children is a really big deal. And so it wasn't just a passing comment when the disciples wanted to keep everything in order and Jesus is doing all this important stuff, teaching all this large, massive following, and kids wanted to come up and get some time with Jesus. And Jesus is to his disciples as if they're not important. No, let the little children come because that's the heart of God for all of us and it starts with children. And then he makes it such a big deal that the way they come to God is exactly the way we must come. And, and so that was a big part of last week's message. It takes a healthy church to raise children who will receive the baton. Yes, it takes a healthy family, but not all families have everything all together. And if you have one person that loves the Lord, oh, take heart, that's enough to pass a baton. And 
Look to the Lord, because the Lord will take whatever you have as you're turning towards children and make it supernatural if you just keep praying and loving and letting this kingdom thing that you're latched a hold of become the center of your life in Jesus. Children can tell a fake a mile away and they get better at it as teenagers. <laughs> Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Again, this is not just for parents, but is most definitely for parents, and the responsibility is very heavy on their shoulders. But I'm really, really grateful, first, that my parents did a wonderful job. Not that I'm boasting. No. They had a terror on their hands, and they didn't know what to do, and they're pulling out their hair. And One of the fascinating things that I learned as a grandparent is how fascinated my grandchildren were about the stories of how terrible Papa was when Papa was your age. <laughs> they wanted to hear those stories over and over again. But that's part of telling the story of how good God is and how he can change us, and I wish I would have been better at telling those stories to my children. But I hadn't yet learned that lesson. I still thought that the best way to communicate to my kids was always communicate that I'm strong, I've got it all together, be like me. But that's not the gospel, is it? Jesus is strong, he's good, he's got it all together. Be like him, look to him and he'll help you. Here's how I was messed up and here's how he helps me. That's part of what it means to raise your children with a reality that they pick up on. He helped you that way? Wow, I want to be helped that way too. But not just my parents. <clears throat> I remember a fifth grade Sunday school teacher. And if my memory serves me correctly, I know fifth grade is a long time ago, um, he never had children, but he loved children. And he taught the fifth grade class. And there was a bunch of us boys in this class. I remember the boys more than the girls. And he took all of us on a fishing trip all day. And that stuck with me. And his classes were more than information. We could see that he loved us. We would look for him every Sunday, not just for class, but he would look for us too. He made a difference in our lives. Church, we need to be looking for ways we can make a difference and know names and pray for children by name, and find a way that we are shining examples of a place they love to be because of these people. They look for us. Can you think of a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker or a coach or a pastor or a teacher or a musician or a neighbor or someone besides your parents that made an impact on your faith development? I had wonderful parents, but I can sure think of all of those. All of those. It takes a church. It takes a village to raise a child. And we're all part of that village. We're all part of that church. And we are so fortunate that we have so many children here that we can look to and see that God has, in the wonderful hands of these little children, not tomorrow's church, Today's church and a growing faith that as we pass it to them, they will pass it to others.
we have more people in children's ministry and in youth ministry than many churches in America. And those same churches in America that are very small sometimes struggle to have children in their church. And it's hard to get children in a church that don't have children in a church. All right? There are challenges there. We have a huge opportunity, not only with our children, but with the future of this community. And so that's part of what it means to turn our hearts toward children. Point number one, oh, first we got a quote on the screen. Each of us is a vital link in a generational chain by which the knowledge and values and love of God is passed on from one to another to another. Do you see it? Do you get that? Do you see how you might play a huge role in that chain? You might be thinking, no, others have that chain. Others have that link. I'm telling you, no. You are a link in a chain that affects others. How do you want it to affect others after you? We will pass the baton of faith. Point number two, tell them God's stories. Tell them God's stories. Verse four, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Now, some people automatically assume because we say story, it's make-believe. We're not talking about make-believe. We're talking about the story of his praiseworthy deeds. So generation upon generation, it was built into their faith that they would tell their children what their parents told them about their heritage and these realities that took place in history, and that's the Old Testament. And now it's up to us to tell our children what took place in reality and the culmination of the center of history because we're talking not about stories when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the reality of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Some people often think of the Bible as the only basis for our faith. Oh, and I'm showing you my first Bible. Kind of worn out. Um, My first Bible, it says right in here, Presented to Jimmy by a friend, May 23rd, 1963. I wasn't four yet. And I wore it out. I never read it. (laughs) Because I couldn't yet. But I wore it out. And this was King James, and part of the reason I struggled with it was the language. But then I was given another Bible, some nine years later or so, presented to Jim Hammond by Almaden Church on 1971. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, that's my handwriting. And I didn't remember when it was given to me, but this was one that I began to own. Jim H. (laughs) This is my Bible. And this one wasn't King James. This was Living New Testament. And I began to read this one. And it began to own me. The Bible is unlike any other book. Some people think that our whole faith is built on we believe this and everything we believe is based on this. Partially true, but you need to understand that's not how it worked. Jesus came 
He was crucified on the cross. He was raised from the dead before any words were written about that. There was an incredible movement, an explosive movement, where Judaism was rocked like a carpet was pulled out from underneath them as people were leaving the traditional Judaism to follow the Messiah and there was this huge controversy about this and it was growing all across the globe now, not just among Jews but went global to the Gentiles and that's why the Gospels were written. That's why Paul began to write and we now have the writings all about this movement that was miraculous and everybody from the get-go was saying, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him, we saw him risen, this is real and then it was documented. So you can study this as history, not just as story, and there's all kinds of evidence to pile upon your knowledge base that is linked with faith. Our world tries to unlink knowledge from faith. Our Universities want to separate knowledge from faith. We just teach knowledge. We can't teach you values because values is up to everybody's individually. Whatever they believe is good. You do whatever you want. That's your thing. That's your thing. We're not going to address values. God says, hello, values are based on reality. I am real. I have revealed to you what is good and what is bad. And here's history of that revelation. So don't you let anybody rip apart a knowledge base from a faith base. The Lord tells us you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind and faith go together. And so if anybody asks you, just believe it blindly, junk that idea, and get more of a knowledge base to build your faith upon the foundation of the knowledge base of the reality of these revelations which God revealed in history and documented and passed on word for word for word, not only orally but in documents now. And as you read the documents and you look at the history and there's evidence there, you start to realize, wow, and you're drawn in. This is real. You don't have to agree it's real first, then believe. Be drawn in. The more you study it, the more you will build this faith. It is real. Okay? And that's where I want to take you as part of this idea of knowledge base. It comes from telling them God's stories. There's no other book like it. It wasn't written by one person other than God himself who authored it through human writers and their personalities, and their languages. It's written in three languages over a 1,500 year period of time, and all of the early prophecies match with the later fulfillments, and it's all told about a story that's, here's what's coming, here's what's coming, and it came. And here's what happened, here's what happened, and we read it, and sure enough, an archeologist says, no, we haven't found anything like that. And we read it, and then the archeologist says, well, I think it's probably there, because they read it, and they find it. It's filled with this stuff all through. So it's real history, real revelation that shapes your thinking about reality. I was so blessed to have the people in my life that helped me connect my faith to reality. Do you understand how valuable that is? It's not just whatever I feel, and you feel whatever you feel, and you believe whatever you believe. I'm going to build it on a foundation that's more solid than that. You can. 
And when you have doubts, hold them loosely. Look into them. I'm looking forward to Easter. <laughs> we're going to be doing a series called Doubt Less. And we're going to start on Easter. Doubt Less. I better watch out. We're going to get running out of time here. A correct knowledge base is not separate from a faith base. Here's a quote. We all need a knowledge base that answers the most important questions. Questions like, what is real? What is the good life? Who is a good person? How do I become one? Our world is confused about all of those questions. Our knowledge base answers them cohesively. There's a worldview that makes sense. And you can build your faith on it. But let me say this. Faith is more than head knowledge. Faith is more than head knowledge. It's more like getting to know a person. You go through these stages getting to know a person. When you meet somebody, they're a stranger at first, okay? Then you go through the stages, becoming acquaintance, then knowing them more personally, and then you begin to trust them if they're a good person. And if they're a really good person, you begin to increase your reliance and loyalty towards them and your confidence, and you might even, you know, begin to express your loyalty to them, and then this joy is growing in this relationship because they're a really good person, and they love you, and and you want to love them too, and then you might even, in our world, enter into a covenant relationship called marriage. If it's that beautiful, well, that's what God did when he sent his son. And his son said, will you be mine? And we could enter into the new covenant through Jesus' blood. And Jesus ties the whole Old Testament covenant together in his name that now he's establishing a new covenant in his blood. And this is what he did to make this possible. So you can get to know God by getting to know a person. I can't make you believe, but if you will investigate a person as if he's real, you will begin to talk to that person, get to know that person, and you'll go through the stages from stranger to acquaintance to friendship to loyal to yes, I'm ready to commit and enter into a loyal relationship with Jesus Christ who is loyal to me. I can't believe he did this for me. Do you see how this knowledge base works? It's not just knowledge, it's a reality of what God did and prepared to do for thousands of years and then brought that central truth, a story that we call his story, which is in history, Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected on our behalf so that the only truly good person could represent us and take our sins away, absorb our sins, and then give his goodness to us when we did not deserve one ounce of his goodness. We deserved judgment, but instead Jesus took our judgment. That's the gospel good news. And he says, will you be mine? That's what we're trying to help our kids understand and get to know. So... John 17, 3 puts it this way, this covenantal relationship. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you. He was praying this in front of his disciples, praying it to his father, but his disciples listening in. The only true God and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. How are you going to enter into eternal life? Know God. How are you going to know God? By knowing Jesus. Jesus is that clear. Point number one was we will pass the baton of faith. How? Point number two, tell them God's stories. Point number three, teach them God's truth. Teach them God's truth. Will you teach them what is real? What is the good life? Who is a good person? How do I become one? Parents, are you listening to me? In order to be able to teach that in a way that they'll get it, as you will need to get it yourself. What is real? Who is, what is the good life? Who is a good person? How do I become one? Will you teach them how all of this makes a difference for you and why you center your life on Jesus Christ? If you center your life on Jesus Christ, you'll begin to be able to teach them what it looks like to be a good person. And they'll want to be just like you. Just like I want to be just like my dad. Will you take a look at the children's ministry table? You might be surprised to find out there are ways you can make a difference for the next generation. Will you make this declaration with me? If you'd like to make a declaration, it's up to you. You'll hear a declaration. If it's something you're willing to make, make it with me right afterwards, like a repeat after me. I will pass the baton of faith. I will tell them God's stories. I will teach them God's truth. Now you just got to figure out how, where, who, everywhere. It's everybody's responsibility. We are a link to the next generation, and we need to reach the next generation. That's everybody's responsibility. I will do it. And you're declaring, I will do it. So we need to look for how to do it. We need to look for how we're going to be shaped so that we can do it. Let's do it. So glad you came today. I hope you're encouraged. Uh, we have a connect card for those of you who are guests that we'd love for you to fill out. It takes about 30 seconds, and there's an information table in the hallway on your way out. They'd love to give you an exchange for your information so we can keep communicating what might be your next step. They'll give you a gift bag. We have a prayer card for anybody that has a need that feels pretty heavy. This doesn't go to the information table. This you just pop into the uh, black giving boxes uh, on your way out and we'll be praying for you, whatever that prayer need is. Some of you need prayer right now. Some of you, God is speaking to you right now. We're asking the prayer team to go ahead and go over to their prayer area so they can pray for you. Would you join me as we pray? Father God, um, we want to do better. We want to shine brighter. We want this as a church to be a church filled with smiling, joy-filled, 
children who come to you week upon week to get another sip of joy, another sip of blessing. Lord, we come to be blessed so that we can bless and be a blessing. You have blessed us already. Help us to figure out how to bless another, whether it be here or in our neighborhoods or our workplaces or our acquaintances or our family. Help us to pass on a light that you've given us, life, light, joy, salvation, forgiveness, a loyalty from you. Help us to present that in face and smiles and gestures and behaviors, but even in bold statements that you lead us to make, just identifying with you and your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. See you next week.